Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to hear us over this. Hey, what's up, Fright School? It's Joshua here. And Joe. And we are so excited because we are at the theater to see the new Candyman movie. So stay tuned for the episode. That's what we're seeing. Right. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. All right, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. What are you doing? Ah, uh, I am. Well, I've been lazy most of the morning. <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing laundry today on, on, uh, on this, uh, this beautiful morn, but I have yet to start and now it's past noon. So I don't know if it'll happen or not. <laughs> you are, you, you don't send yours out to a laundress? I don't. I do my own laundry. I'm very, uh, grounded that way. <laughs> what about you what are you doing how's your morning been it's good i'm very sore today Um, oh i'm sorry i i mean like it's fine i'm i'm pretty sore because yesterday i was hanging out with jimmy kins and his friends who are the gay bowlers um the gay city bowlers (laughs) and uh they we were we were at a little pool party and uh you know one thing about the pool is that you you are you it's anti-gravity or you know weightlessness and so i was doing all kinds of things underwater that i normally wouldn't be able to do on the dry land and then uh when i got home it it all caught up with me (laughs) oh well i'm sorry to hear that i hope that you uh feel better quickly thank you um (laughs) oh i also i also drank yesterday Oh, did you? That's a rarity. Yeah, I had Jameson and ginger. Oh, yum. And then um, I took a shot of something. Some like (laughs) ginger beer or ginger ale? Ginger ale. Okay. So it was, I I actually, I think it would have been a lot, uh, it would have been really good with ginger beer because the spice was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, we make those sometimes when we have ginger beer in the house. But I also love whiskey with ginger ale. You know, Jack and Ginger, Jameson and Ginger, mm-hmm. any of those is lovely. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, well, oh my gosh. So we are here today because we went to see, we went on a field trip, a fright school field trip. Imagine that. We did, and it wasn't just us. I know it wasn't just us. It was uh, there were others there. It was kind of uh, crazy. We we got Crystal to come, who is uh, you know friend of of both of ours, who does not like horror films. Uh, she's been yeah, she's been joining us though because we've been doing American Horror Story obviously on Wednesdays, and she and her husband Eric have been joining us, and so that's been fun. So we talked her into going to see the Candyman twenty twenty one. Uh, so that was exciting, but, um, yeah, so we're here just to, you know, give you, give you the rundown, give you our thoughts on the new, on the new Candyman. On the so, Candyman. 
Candy Mins, as it uh, turns out. But we'll get to that. What is it? The uh, um, <laughs> assigned candy at birth? What is it? The candy men at birth? <laughs> candy thems. The candy thems. The, uh, the A-cabs. <laughs> there we go. Um, that's a totally different uh, take on that. I'm sure we could really unpack that talking about this uh this film you know the uh mm-hmm. all cap all cops are bastards or all cops are bad or all cops are oh yeah you know. anyways but you know it's we'll get meaning we'll get to that a cab has a double meaning yeah so um yeah, so we're here today to, to discuss the the latest uh, Candyman film. It's a direct sequel to the original from 1992. Uh, long delayed, right? I mean, it was supposed to be a well, I guess not long. It was like everything pushed back about a year or so uh, due to due to the COVID nineteen, the ongoing COVID nineteen pandemic that we're finding uh-huh. ourselves perpetually Situation. stuck in, like some kind of cold thick honey uh so we've got nia DaCosta on direction yay yeah uh, screenplay by uh da costa win rosenfeld and jordan peele obviously this is uh all the Candyman series is based in the original novella by clive barker called the forbidden which i actually reread this morning because i haven't read it since we did our first Candyman. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, when we did our, the original Candyman uh, for the show, man, like a hundred episodes ago, I think it's in the forties or fifties. Yeah, easily. We've, we've just, we have so many episodes now. Uh, yeah, we've got, sorry, I just totally uh, spaced on what I was going to say. <laughs> Talk about the cast. Josephine. Yes. All right. We've got, uh, no, his name is Yahya. Uh, Yaha. I've been saying Yaha. Yaha Abdul Mateen II. Yahya, maybe Yahya. Yahya. Tiana Paris, Nathan mm-hmm. Stewart Jarrett, Coleman Domingo, along with Vanessa Williams, who is reprising her role as Anne Marie from the original. Uh, Tony Todd makes a little cameo, and Virginia Madsen has a vocal cameo. So very mm-hmm. exciting, you know. They're tying the original to to this uh, to this new sequel. Uh, obviously, Jordan Peele on production. It's produced by his uh, company, Monkey Monkey Paw Productions. All of that. And we had the the pleasure to go see it together, and it was super fun in the movie theater. Look at that! What did you think, Joe? Oh, it was so much fun. I loved it. Um, it's nice to be going back to the cinema. I mean, you know, with the ongoing COVID nineteen pandemic, it's you know I've been really intentional about the films that I see at the cinema. And so it was really, really fun to go and in the middle of the day again, because they now have more showings during the afternoon time. Yeah. Um, So it was nice to go during the day. It was nice to see all of you. It was nice to have, I don't know if you saw, but like I got uh, my popcorn that I ate for a little bit, um, but I ended up taking them mostly is uh, with Chicago style, you know, the cheese popcorn and the kettle corn. So, uh, so I did a little, so, you know, as a tribute to Candyman and Cabrini Green, that was my my intention. Um, wow. 
yeah, but other, otherwise, the film itself was was really fantastic. Um, I am looking for looking forward to hopefully more Candyman films. Yeah, I am very curious if they'll like expand and tell more stories, or if they're going to kind of continue this, you know, because it does leave you know on a bit of a cliffhanger. You know, or I mean, not exactly. I mean, it's perfectly fine if they if this is it and this is the end of the you know of the of the film and they don't do another one. But they could. There was definitely room uh, for for more uh, story to be told if they if they so wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I also enjoyed it. It kind of took. I had to like kind of think a little bit about it, you know, and sit with it uh, for a couple days while I figured out exactly sort of what I thought because like right after. I don't know, maybe it's because it's just been postponed and I've been like, and it's been announced, you know, for a couple of years, you know, even before it was originally supposed to be released. So it's been on our minds, like thinking like, oh, you know, the new Candyman is going to come. So like, how, like maybe hyping it up a little bit in my, in my mind. Uh, so I was, I was curious to see how it would play out. And so I, I have, I, I, I did really enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I, I want to go see it again. Um, soon actually i'd like to find another day just to go see it in the theater again because it was so um it was it was really good um but just to kind of like talk a little bit about it um also spoiler alert right this is a new film (laughs) we do want people to see it so before we get into the particulars and spoiling the shit out of it um pause this go see it and come back to this episode very wise uh, words, Joe. <laughs> uh, so Dread Central put out a, a an article uh, written by Andrew. No last name, just Andrew. Okay, Andrew. Right, okay. Editorials. Be my victim, Nia DaCosta's Candyman and the insidious history of racism in the United States. Uh, Nia DaCosta's film expands on the lore of the horror classic to tell a story about the brutalization of the black male body both then and now. And so it's kind of examining, you know, in the first part of the article really dives into the uh the the first the original Candyman kind of talking about you know that that story there and obviously the Daniel Robitaille it's kind of really both the first two films because the you know they expand a lot more in the in the sequel uh and and exploring you know that history but this also I think is what I like about this film is that they are kind of taking on the you know this story about um you know, not only the brutalization of the black body, but also the, like the, the, what's like the word, like the monstrifying, uh, of, of, of black men, you know, who are in situations where they're, um, because the, you know, racism, because of white supremacy, you know, because of this, like, building up of the narrative that black men are dangerous, are, you know, monstrous, are animalistic, you know, that they're a threat to white women in particular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole, like anything, you know, all, all everything is, is a, is a threat to, you know, the happy white family living in the suburbs sort of idea. So this article kind of ties in, it starts with like, uh, 
talking about like birth of a nation, you know, which we've discussed in context with uh, horror noir is one of the kind of those early horror films that depicts, you know, I mean, the monsters in the movie are black men, you know, and yeah. that, that, that white women have to be protected. And so I like how this story is kind of taking that on and, you know, using that history to kind of create these sort of um, one part sort of vigilante kind of justice uh, in one way. And then also just kind of using that as, as a way to, you know, kind of, I mean, I think the original Candyman in a way sort of reinforces, you know, by using, uh, by having Candyman be a black man who's been like brutalized by white people, but then he comes back to hunt this like white woman down and he's mm-hmm. like obsessed with, you know, so some of the, some of the, the imagery they play with kind of plays with those same sort of, um, stereotypes to some degree, you know, that's yeah. kind of the, the discussion that happens with Candyman is like, what, what is it exactly trying to say or prove or not prove? <laughs> like what, what was the point of, of, um, you know, of having him be like the first black slasher in a way. But, you know, again, it's, you know, it's all kind of structured in the same, if you're going to have a white person writing and white people making those sorts of decisions, you know, what sorts of, um, mm-hmm. Uh, implicit or, or even explicit like biases kind of creep in. But anyways, the point is, is that, yeah, so this, is, this article is kind of tying that in. And then I was also thinking of um, Angela Davis in uh, women, race and class. She talks a lot about like the myth of the black male rapist and, you know, this sort of idea that after, after the civil war, after reconstruction, uh, you know, everybody kind of had this hope that things would be better, you know, obviously, especially people who had been formerly enslaved, you know, who now had the ability to hold office or to have, you know, this sort of, um, you know, they, they were more empowered. And because of the threat of that, uh, you know, and then the North kind of pulling away and kind of leaving the South to its own devices has allowed sort of the KKK to rise and all of this. And one of the ways that they sort of drove a wedge, I think, in between like working class people, white, black, everybody, you know, who maybe had a lot more of the same interests in mind. You know, they, they, had, com- they had common interests being poor, like being labor class. Uh, this creation of like this black male rapist myth fantasy of like white vigilantism white you know the ku klux klan helped like you know divide people more even though like white men were going around you know raping black women and were far more of a threat to the safety of all women (laughs) regardless of color uh but again you know that's always sort of that that uh that fantasy there. Um, but anyways, the, you know, I just think that all is, that's kind of all informing what, uh, Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta are doing. Um, well, I'd say the director, obviously, but I mean, they all wrote it together. Um, I think that's kind of informing some of the conversation that's happening in, in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think one thing that we brought up after the film was, uh, kind of what what was brought up in Horror Noir where it's like, oh, you know, Candyman comes out and he's like terrorizing the people of Cabrini Green, but they're all black folks when he could, you know, just as easily terrorize the white folks, you know, bring out and and I and I feel like this film is is kind of retconning that to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um 
and it's and it's well it's also like completely and entirely possible in the in the in the kind of world and the mythology of the film is also because if you think about the end of the first Candyman, where helen comes back right so you see that you see that in this in this way because when you die at the hands of Candyman or whatever you come back as you know in or you're you're reborn in this way in this kind of vengeful spirit type of way and so seeing that um seeing that also kind of play out, but now it's in a different form. Um, And then, and also I think it's also part of it is intention, right? Because the whole stuff with Burke at the end was kind of confusing as to like his reasoning for it. Um, It was as if he was trying, he was actively trying to take the, um, to take the, um, redo the mythos of Candyman. And instead of being the spooky story that we tell like black people in the hood, tell each other to keep each other in mind, this is a way for him to be, to recreate it in his image in terms of like be a vigilante for justice. And Candyman is the hero of the hood instead. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's kind of always the, the, the through line has always sort of been that Candyman, the original like Daniel Robitaille, you know, was just, you know, in love with this white woman and they were going to have a baby, at least again, using the first two films story, which I think largely this new Candyman really ignores the sequels. It's kind of just dealing with the story from the original, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but still he, he was like a victim of vigilante justice. And then he's sort of like haunting, you know, this area of Cabrini green, but like you were saying, he's able, I mean, in the original, he's obviously kind of corporeal. He's able to travel. He goes to Helen's place. He goes to, you know, the hospital that she's being held in, uh, you know, so obviously he can choose where to go, but again, he's also indiscriminate. Like if you're, if you're going to say his name, like right in the very beginning of the film, the, you know, the person recounting, you know, this tale, it's about a, you know, a white babysitter and her boyfriend coming over and they do the whole Candyman thing and he shows up and kills her. So it's not as if he is stuck just there, but that the legend is there. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of spreads, you know, from there. Um, but, but still, yeah, I think that was, that's always something that gets brought up. It's like, why is he haunting this place? Like, why isn't he, um, you know, going after as, as a state in horror noir, you know, the people most likely descendant and responsible for the pain that he is, that he is experienced in the loss. But again, you know, Maybe he was just really waiting around for Helen. <laughs> he was just waiting for, uh, I think her name's Caroline in the, I think that's the woman's mm-hmm. name in uh, Candyman 2. In Fair, it's called Farewell to the Flesh. I think that she, I think her name's Caroline. And that's who Helen is like a, a, either a descendant of or a reincarnation of or, or something like that. Um. But yeah, but you're right. In this new one, they are kind of playing with sort of changing that because like Cabrini Green is being gentrified. Obviously, that's a big conversation within uh, within this film is like gentrification and, uh, you know, what kind of what the projects, quote unquote, existed as and then, you know, change to or how like, you know, that happens, how like how the ghetto, quote unquote, is created. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacobin actually had a, a an article out as well that I'm going to link called Candyman Rings Terror Out of the Horror of Gentrification. 
Uh, Candyman suggests that the ghosts of the displaced won't disappear so easily. So it's kind of analyzing it from more, and again, this is sort of a democratic socialist um, media, uh, you know, so they're kind of examining like those, the clash of like the rich and the poor and how the poor are kind of being pushed out further and further away, uh, you know, from places that they maybe that did have community and sort of, so how that has changed, um, what Chicago is like and, you know, particularly mm-hmm. where Cabrini Green used to be set. Cause I think, I, I do believe that it's gone or it has been redeveloped, <laughs> which is sort of interesting to think about, like that conversation of like public property that has been built to help, you know, for low income, you know, people to have like housing they can afford and a place that they can afford close to hopefully do jobs and other, mm-hmm. um, you know, the choices that you can make living, you know, in a city, versus being kind of pushed out away from the urban core, but how that land gets then taken and sold to developers to put like expensive condos on. It's really Mm -hmm. like fucked up, but that's obviously a big conversation. I mean, that's like literally one of the conversations they have in the film is like, who's responsible because, you know, you have this white art critic that comes in. So the main character, Anthony, who is the baby from the original film, uh, baby Anthony, um, is now an artist, you know, some 30 years later. And, uh, you know, he's wanting to, he's inspired by this story that he gets told, which I actually really love at the beginning, how they're telling the story and it's not right based at least on the film, Mm -hmm. you know, that they kind of do this retelling of Candyman using these really cool shadow puppets. I really liked all of that. I really, really enjoyed the shadow puppetry that they used throughout the film to kind of tell these uh, stories and, and to, and to describe the events. But so anyways, at the beginning, they're kind of telling uh, Helen's story and it's not right. It's completely, you know, um, kind of what happens when it's retold time and time again, it's, it's become, you know, distorted. So I really enjoy that. So he's inspired by this, you know, he's going to Cabrini green, he's getting, you know, into the whole thing of, you know, the history of it and then meets Burke, like you were talking William Burke, who at the beginning of the film is shown as a child who kind of inadvertently causes the death of what was his name? Sherman. Mm-hmm. Who Sherman is like this. Fields. Yeah, Sherman Fields, I think I think that's right. Who is this like man? It, it, it is very like Candyman. He's got like the coat on and he's got a hook for a hand, but like, you know, a, um like a prosthetic hook. And turns out to be a perfectly yeah, innocent a person. Simple, simple guy. Yeah, definitely um kind of is is given that sort of context that, you know, he's just, you know, probably houseless. He's got Candy he's giving to kids, but somehow some of the candy, not coming from him, but someone else, but it has razor blades in it, so obviously you get scapegoated. And so that's kind of what kicks off that whole, that interest with um, with Anthony is this, like how um, black men in particular, I do think this film largely ignores uh, the plight of, of black women uh, to some extent. I mean, they do go into a little bit of like the professional expectations that are on um, um Oh, what's her name? What's her character's name? Brianna. Brianna. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Tiana Paris. Is that how you say her name? Or is it Tiana? Tiana Paris, yes. Yeah, Tiana Paris. This is her uh, year. This is her year. I know. You were, like, excited. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they're, they're kind of jumping around. Um, sorry, I'm jumping around. But... Uh, so he's inspired by this story and that's kind of what puts him on this path. And then he's sort of like, it kind of takes a, like a Freddy's revenge 
<laughs> kind of deal where it feels like he he's like he's become infected by Candyman. He's like slowly turning into, uh, you know, he gets stung by a bee and then that like spreads. It's very the it's got some moments of body horror that are kind of gross, like the fly, um, you know. But he's like in becoming monstrous, like literally. Um. <laughs> well, I so there was a point where I was like, okay, so it sounds like it sounds like he's trying. Someone is trying to be like Candyman is trying has chosen him to to be the next one. You know, right? Like, would he say to Helen, "Be my victim"? You know, be my be my victim. And it's very, like you said, very Freddy's Revenge. And in my mind, I was like, okay, okay, is Candyman by? <laughs> because you know, I mean, again, when you're when you're an eventual spirit lost to eternity, I guess you know the it's the height of folly to think that you could just choose one sexuality because you know in the '90s it was all about Virginia Madsen, and now you know we have you know Yaya Abdul Mateen, and so you know maybe Candyman is bi, and he's just trying to. <laughs> um, well, we'll have to save that for, you know, like a future rewatch to, to unpack the queerness. Right now, we're just going to stick with like the racial tensions that are that Sure, are but you know, again, <laughs> we'll, we'll have TJ on to talk about being... Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. To, to bring the, um, the, the, the queerness to Candyman 2021. Um, but I kind of go back a little bit because I, I wanted to establish that he become an artist and you know, and um, Anthony within the film. And so there's that lovely conversation with the art critic, this white woman who's like kind of telling him like what it's like to be, you know, um, gentrified. And then she's like, flips she it back, blames but, him for yeah, being she a blames, exactly. Yeah. He's trying to make this comment and she's like, well, it's really you artists that like come in and, you know, make the place. And then they, and then he comes back later to, to her place and they have this more in-depth conversation about like, you know, being, being othered and being pushed out and like what it means to have your government, like, you know, actively work against you and to take resources from your neighborhood. And like, that's where it starts is like, you know, sucking like the life out of a neighborhood and then selling it off to developers and kicking the people out. So it was just this kind of um, great conversation throughout about, you just sort of this one problem of gentrification, uh, particularly as it's as it's affecting Chicago and as it's affected Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. this place that kind of for a long time I think in the '90s especially was sort of synonymous with like the projects, you know, this idea of like, you know, what Cabrini Green was, you know, to people who maybe didn't really understand something that I think the original film was a little bit more sympathetic towards, you know, by, by talking about like, you know, these are people trying to live their life as best they can. It's not just like a den of, you know, drug dealers and criminals as, you know, people kind of think it is. They, they kind of added this, I think a little bit more of a humanizing effect to the original this, that kind of is all lacking, you know, cause the, this film they're gone largely like the people that live there. Uh, and so it's just kind of like a husk, you know, of, of what's left standing to be waiting to be torn down that um, Anthony's investigating, taking pictures in and, you know, starting to build up the, you know, the material that's going to inform his artwork and then, uh, so then back to kind of the other conversation then happening is is sort of about, um, well, not sort of, it is about police violence. There's that great scene where he's walking through and he hears a police siren. He like jumps back and pushes, presses himself up against the building. Now, whether or not he was 
like not supposed to be there because it's, you know, it's all chained off or condemned or whatever. Or if it was just like the, like, you know, that reaction that, um, I think probably a lot of people have, whether or not they're doing something wrong or not. And like, if you hear the police, you kind of immediately like panic because our culture, you know, we're seeing so much violence against innocent people be ratified, you know, uh, on a, on a constant basis through state violence, police violence. Uh, but it was just kind of a, um, it was one of those moments in the film that was just like, oh, you know, like, yeah, dude, hide, <laughs> like, you know, and, and like put the camera down, like don't have anything in your hands. Cause you just, you know, it's very, yeah. it's just so insidious, this sort of, uh, violence, uh, at the hands of police. And that's kind of echoed through, um, you know, because they're, they hint at like Emmett Till and, you know, his brutal death, not at the hands of police, but again, vigilante justice, Sherman Fields in the, in the film, it is the police, um, you know, there's been plenty of, um, you know, martyrs to this sort of, uh, to this sort of violence. And so to have that kind of become, as we started off by saying the candy men, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's said in the, in the film as well, the candy man is like the whole hive now, because there's just so much of this story that there's all of these like spirits that can inhabit, uh, this, this role. Yeah. I too was a little confused. I get, I went back and kind of reread like the synopsis of the film and in reading the other, um, you know, some of these, these papers and things that are writing about it, it, the, the Burke situation I think is a little bit more clear, uh, to me than when I first left it. Cause that was the thing when, when I left, I was just kind of like, why, why did Burke, like, I'm, I was kind of confused about what his role was, like what he mm-hmm. was trying to do, but it just sounds like he was, again like you said earlier like creating this sort of a new martyr a new um a new figure that would avenge in a way rather than be just a uh just like a monster you know from like a bloody mary type you know Mm -hmm. ghoul that you're that you're summoning which i think you see like i think that is what will that'll be interesting to see in in like a sequel right because when at the end of the film brianna's in the hand brianna's in handcuffs in the back of a police car the policeman is uh is basically telling her what she should say like for her own good she should say that this is what happened and you know in this very subtle but not so subtle way of coercing her to corroborate his version of events and then she, you know, asks to see the rearview mirror, says Candyman five times. And then what's great is that, like, halfway through, she, like, her, it, her, the intention changes in the saying of it. And you read it all on her face that, like, you know, basically, like, it's not like, you know, oh, Candyman, you know, come and kill me. It's Candyman, please avenge me. Right. Um, Help me. Help yeah. me. Exactly. Intercede for me. Um, and then that's exactly what happens with the newly, with the newly recti- uh, resurrected um, version of Candyman, which is uh, Anthony instead of Sherman, which it had been for most of the film. And I, and and that'll be, and then at the very, very end, you see the cameo by Tony Todd as the original Candyman looks right at Brianna and says, tell everyone. And I think at this point, we're supposed to believe that like future subsequent Candyman sequels 
will be like, hey, did you hear if you're in if you're in trouble with the cops, look into a mirror and say Candyman five times and <laughs> he'll come and, you know, he'll come and help you. Something like that. Yeah, I like at the end of this, uh, the Dread, Cent- uh, Dread Central article, it says the tell everyone demand is not just a reference to the fact Candyman believes his malevolent nature is nurtured within the power of his myth. It is also a demand that every audience member understands that as long as racism exists, it will continue to destroy black lives and eventually the lives of everybody in the vicinity. That is the terrifying idea at the core of these movies. DaCosta has created a horrific fable about the brutal cost of racism within society while expanding that theme from the original movie through scale and gravitas. Uh, which I think that's kind of what, um, as we were leaving, Zakia, who's been on the show before, had said that... Um, because uh, I was trying to grapple with like Burke's, you know, William Burke's um, motivation. And, you know, and then we were kind of talking a little bit about that, you know, critique of that Candyman is preying on like the black community. And she, I really like how she said that kind of like, well, that's sort of how violence works, you know, that it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it gets um, perpetuated within communities and then it spreads. And that's obviously, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like echo. So, you know, you have this violence against you and that violence then is turned on others, you know, like you to some extent and then spills back out in, into the larger community. And we see that kind of play out in this film as, um, you know, this thing that he experienced 30 years ago and that Helen went through um, is now sort of being resurrected. And it's, you know, in this it's spreading in the media, obviously, because people yeah. keep talking about his piece, the same my name piece, where he actually tells people to go and look in mirror and say Candyman five times as a as a way to engage with his art. But then that obviously it's like a virus, you know, and it's uh, you know Candyman shows up and kills these uh, women or yeah. you know the high school girls. He's killing the um, art people, <laughs> all white, you know. Right. You know, lots, lots of white death as well. Um, you know, and so it's kind of like spreading and then in the media, they keep talking about his piece and it's just like perpetuating it and, and, and re-empowering, uh, you know, Candyman himself with, you know, the spreading of that mythology. Yeah. Um, but also it echoes the way like violence, you know, gets, you know, it's um, crabs in a bucket, right? It's crabs will try and if you're trying to get out of the bucket, they'll pull you down and it's right. not so much like it's not the fact that like the crabs are violent. It's just like that's what happens when you're crabs in a bucket. You're isolated in your own place. And right. it's not the fault of the crabs. It's the fault of the person who put them in the bucket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's <laughs> we could sit here and have all kinds of uh, metaphoric discussions. But that crabs in a bucket. There we go. <laughs> candy mans in a bu- candy thems in a bucket. Yes, the candy thems. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. and, and to have like Anne Marie come back and be, um, and basically be the gap, like what happened in the intervening time between original Candyman and and now, and the idea that like the community made a covenant to not say his name ever again to like, this is not, we're not going to, yeah, to let it die. And then for it to be resurrected in this way. um, And it's almost as if like Burke seeing his, sees his out or sees his way to like, and 
you know, it's not so much like, yes, I'm breaking the covenant and yes, people have died, but I'm doing it because we're going to create something better. We're going to use the tragedy and, you know, and appease his guilt at the same time, but uh, use this tragedy to create a way for us to um, have a way to fight back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like creating, you know, this sort of a new, a new myth, uh-huh. you know, that's about vengeance and about reclaim or, you know, reclamation of power rather than, you know, pain and, and brutalization. Mm-hmm. Although through, you know, very brutal killing of this, you know, of Anthony. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, Again, I mean, there were just parts that I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to like really still think about it. And like I said, I do want to see it again. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked revisiting the original Candyman, which I rewatched the night before, uh, rereading the original story. Um, I'm going to watch the sequel because I haven't watched it in a long time, but I'm curious to see how it holds up because I know it gets a lot of criticism as well, but you know, in the intervening years, it seems that it's kind of has a bit of a cult status. And there were mm-hmm. people like even in horror noir, um, one of, one of the women, uh, talking about it was like, you know, I, I think it gets looked over, but people should revisit it. And there is kind of an interesting story being told there and a, uh, a, uh, um, a conversation that maybe, uh, was a little, it wasn't yet, uh, mature enough, maybe. I don't uh-huh. know, uh-huh. like what the right, you know, but it was like they were trying to have a conversation that wasn't yet, you know, it was ready for it. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I want to watch it again and kind of see what I see what I think because it's been so long. And, I, and to have a movie that was, you know, filmed what to probably film 2019. Um, supposed to be have re- supposed to have been released in 2020, and then has a 2021 release. Um, you know, obviously this was the events of June 2020 and the uprising and the 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 radical call for um, accountability and racial justice and all of that could not have been something that we foresaw, um, especially the, especially global pandemic as well. But again, it just shows that how this is just. Like, for anyone to say that, like, uh, for anyone to not be, uh, anyone non-black, I should say, <laughs> to to think that, like, oh, what an interesting coincidence. I'm like, no, it's not an interesting coincidence that here's a movie that is very timely impression about uh, police violence, uh, state violence, and the victims of state violence, specifically black and br- black people. Like, it's this is a story that is as old as time, as old as this country. Um, and yeah. so, and so I think it's very, I think we need to, I think it's one conversation that the thought that needs to be put out there is the fact that like, oh, you know, oh, good timing that this story came out and I'm like, well, not good timing. This is something that's always existed. Um, yeah. It's just like, it's more magnified now. We are more heightened and, and aware uh, of it, I would hope that <laughs> for those of, uh, especially those who were radicalized by the 2016 election and subsequently were like, oh, um, that were made aware of state violence as well um, in the pervasiveness of state violence and and racist, white cishead racist patriarchy <laughs> in America um, because of June 2020. And so to, to kind of go in that with this, um, in, in this film, it kind of, it's a way of being like, yeah, it's so pervasive that we made a movie about it three, two years ago. 
Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and we've been making movies about it for a long time and having these conversations. Cause again, yeah. it's some people are aware, you know, people do know what's happening. It's just that they do have been known. Right. It's just that either they, either there are, well, I don't know. I, <laughs> Because uh, I, I want to say, like, white people in particular are just being, I think, woken up to. Well, no, I don't even want to say that. I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly I want to say. I mean, I feel like there's people that are perfectly fine with the way things are. Obviously, you have that contingent, uh, you know, that are like, yeah, fine. That's this is that's the you know the way things are. Or you know, you have people that want to make change. It's just we're figure out how to do that on Mm -hmm. a a larger Mm -hmm. scale. Um, You know me, I say burn it all down and let's start over, but nobody's, nobody's taking me up on that yet. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I I think you're right though, that people will go into this. I think I saw, didn't Matt share something about like, he heard people criticizing, like, Uh why is every, why, why are they talking about race in this? It's like, did you not? Were you not watching the first one? Yeah. Yeah. Are you unaware? Um, Or that, you know, again, horror, that's what horror does. It, uh, you know, again, this, this film is filled with like black history, you know, not, uh, you know, that, that reflects in black horror uh, as, you know, as, as we've discussed in the past with other films in particular, you know, that is the thesis of horror noir, uh, you know, that history is filled with, with, with real existential horror, uh, for, and, and the present as well, not just history, obviously. Um, you know, so how, how do we, how does film reflect that? And then how do we continue to survive it every day? So this, this film does, I think a, a good job of, uh, kind of creating like a little microcosm of that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. bring up distilling it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it was really good. It's, uh, I, I do again, like I said, I want to see it again because I want to, I just want to, you know, because now that I know what happens, I can go in and kind of look at it with it with different eyes. And yeah. again, this is another one that I think we'll revisit in a year or two, you know, give it time to sit out there in culture and, you know, see what, see what other sorts of conversations come, mm-hmm. uh, come from it. So, <laughs> yeah. And then let's not also like, just put it into like, it's history, put it into the historical context of film, right? So this weekend it is, it was really, or last weekend, because um, we saw it this past uh, over Labor Day weekend. Last weekend it was released. It was the number one box office earner that, and it's the first time that a black woman, um, female black woman director, has um, directed the film who opened at number one in the box office, um, which is which is shocking, but also not given, <laughs> given everything that we know about uh, the opportunities for black women to direct uh, specifically um, these types of films. Of course, it's a genre film. This is just further case for why genre films will always do well <laughs> at box offices at the box office. It will all, you know, especially horror. Um, it reminded me a lot of, um, kind of how people were talking about Black Panther in the Marvel Universe right. because of uh, um, because of their uh, they needed it to do well in order for them to you know in order for them to it to uh, 
in, in order for them to them being Hollywood to make more of these films. And I think in this situation, it it's not a question of them needing to make more Candyman movies, but more of a more of like this is definitely a movie that is for the culture, as is colloquial because of how popular and pervasive the the franchise is, especially among uh, black fans of the genre. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, horror always, you know, exists in that place to, you know, very quickly reflect culture back. So I, I'm very excited about, again, just like with Get Out, you know, when that came out, I, I'm just excited to see how the genre continues to change. It continues to find new ways to have old conversations, you know, to some degree. Um, but then also as we continue, hopefully to change and hopefully to shift mm-hmm. and, um, you know, as as a as a species <laughs> um you know uh if, if we don't all go extinct very shortly <laughs> uh, i'm excited to see how it continues to grow so yeah, yeah. so yeah yay Candyman 2021 go see it tell us what you think i'm already looking forward to i hope when it comes out on uh you know either demand or whatever there'll be a, a mm-hmm. twitter party and we can all go Twitter watch party. <laughs> yeah. And also shout out to um, my good Judy, uh, my friend Jeannie, who also joined us. Yes, it was a pleasure to meet her. Uh, Jeannie, I love her. She she and I, we when we left uh, you at the movies, we ended up sit, standing in the parking lot talking for like an hour and a half. So uh, oh. it was so nice to so nice to see her. And she's a great she's a listener. She loves us. Um, she's also a local photographer, so go check out her work as well. Hey, there we go. I'll find it and link it in the notes too. So yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, that's fine because spirit Halloween turned out to be kind of a bust. They were still setting stuff up. Like they had things for sale. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was, we walked in, but it was like, uh, it was kind of a nightmare and they were still pulling things out and setting things up. So we didn't find anything. So it was all right. But, uh, you didn't end up joining us for that, but next time, next time. So, all right. Well, you know, say it five times. See what happens, Joe. Do it right now. Look in that mirror. I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. Are you ready? No. All right. Uh, Much. (laughs) Stop it. Um, Good night. And don't be hooked in your your, uh, abdomen because I don't know how to do the editing. Candy man. And I am not saying it a fifth time. All right, bye. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 